following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, today we're going to take a look at the um, story of the three wise men, which is found in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 2, it's the only gospel that talks about the story of the three wise men. And I was talking to a friend of mine this week that I would be sharing on this topic. And so she sent me a note. It says, what would happen if the three wise men were instead three wise women? So it says, um, they would have asked for directions. They would have arrived on time. They would have helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stable, made a casserole and brought practical gifts like clothes and shoes. And this is what they would have said as they left. Did you see the sandals Mary was wearing with that gown? It looks so cute. That baby doesn't look anything like Joseph. You know what I heard? I heard that Joseph isn't even working right now. Can you believe that? You want to bet on how long it takes for us to get those casserole dishes back? (laughs) In case we were women. The typical story that people uh, believe about the three wise men were that uh, there were three kings that traveled from the east, from far off, and they rode camels, and they arrived at the manger there, and there's baby Jesus in the manger, and you got some sheep and camels and maybe a goat and and then joseph and mary with baby jesus in the manger uh you know maybe an angel and a star that's kind of the typical nativity scene in fact if you go look at ours right out here at the side of the doors you see that's what we have on ours right there so three wise men and and in fact on my way here this morning i saw in somebody's front yard they had the nativity scene the wise men and jesus and mary and the baby all that There And that's typically what you see. We even have a song called uh, We Three Kings. You know, if you sung that, We Three Kings of Orient. By the way, that's the only song that I can play on the piano. But um, that's what we normally see. And so let's take a look at the text itself and see if that's what actually happened. I'd like to read... Matthew chapter 2 and the first 12 verses. If you have your own Bible, you can follow along or you can look at the screen and we have the words for you. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. But this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, In the land of Judah 
are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you, who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me, so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure gifts, chests, and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. As I said, Matthew was the only gospel that contains this story of the Magi. Now... What we know from history is that the Magi are a tribe of people that come from a larger group of people called the Medes. And these were, this was a priesthood tribe, very similar to the Levite tribe of Israel. The Levites were in charge of all the things that happened in the temple and for worship. And so this is what the Magi do as well. That's their function. They are priests of pagan rituals. And they rose to enormous power and prominence in the eastern kingdoms just by the virtue of their very unique skill set. They were the occultic powers of, of they had occultic powers of divination and knowledge and astronomy and astrology. And so they became very powerful as advisors to the royalty of the east, all the eastern kingdoms The Magi consulted the kings, and so they were called wise men. Now, besides controlling the kingly office, historians also tell us that the Magi oversaw the judicial offices as well. And you see in the book of Esther that the royal bench of judges were chosen by the Magi. The Old Testament says a lot about the Magi. You see that all throughout the Old Testament them cropping up here and there throughout the Old Testament. They were so powerful that uh, the Persians' kingdom, no king could ever be king in Persia unless two things happened. One, he had to master the scientific and religious discipline of the Magi. And two, he had to be crowned and approved by the Magi. So in short, the Magi were king makers. So the question comes up right away, to my mind at least, when I read this text is, why did this occur? How is it that a group of pagan worshipers, people who literally worship in a demonic religion, their god is the god Baal, how is it that they would travel so far to come to worship Jesus, somebody who represented a completely different religion of no one that they would be in any way particularly connected to. 
did God somehow supernaturally tell them about Jesus? Did he tell them to go seek him out? How did they even know to go to Jerusalem? We'll get to that in a moment. Looking at how this actually occurred, it's very different from what people tend to believe today or think is true regarding the Magi. First of all, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem as a group. The Bible doesn't say that there were three of them. And I don't know why we sing We Three Kings. Maybe it's just handy. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know how that happened. But, but it was probably a, a group much larger than that. And they arrived with tremendous pomp and circumstance. They weren't on camels. They were probably on horses, Arabian horses. And, and they would come in as a large group, and they came with an army. There was probably hundreds of soldiers and infantry that would come with the Magi. This is a group of leaders. These are people who anoint royalty. And that's probably why Matthew says that King Herod, when he heard that the Magi had arrived, he was terrified as well as everyone in Jerusalem. We know also from Herodias, who writes about the history of this time, that the, the army that was available there protecting Israel was away. So they were terrified of this army that arrives, great pomp and circumstance of these Magi. So they were never at the manger. And we know that because when they arrived, they came to the house of Mary and Joseph. And so Joseph, being like any good father, you know, when they arrive in Bethlehem and there's no place to stay, so they're in that manger stable, he moved his family from there. And when Herod heard about all of this, he's, he, he made a decree that all the, the Jewish boys, two years and younger, would be killed because the Magi had arrived somewhere within that time frame. So Jesus might have already been a toddler at the time that they arrived. They were not at the manger. When they saw Jesus, they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they gave him gifts. The gifts they gave to Jesus were both uh, symbolic and practical. Gold. Gold was associated with royalty. The, the Ark of the Covenant was covered in gold. And many of the, the, the elements and furniture within the, the temple were made out of gold. And so it talks of, of God's royalty. These were king makers, you understand, And we also know that Mary and Joseph were poor because when they came to the temple to worship, they brought two birds. And the Old Testament tells us that if you couldn't afford something like a goat or a ram, then you could bring birds. And that's what Mary and Joseph brought. And so we know they were very poor. So the gold was very practical and it's probably what they used to travel to Egypt to protect Jesus and live there for a number of years. They also brought frankincense. Frankincense is a, uh, it's a spice, and it's also an incense. It comes from a tree. You cut a carve, a hole in the tree, and the sap comes out, and you form it into this gum. And then you light that, and uh, it's a beautiful fragrance. Isaiah talks about how the incense is the prayers of the saints. 
rising up to the nostrils of God. And so it's talking about worshiping Jesus as, as king of kings. Also, they gave myrrh, which is interesting because myrrh was also a spice, but would be used in burial for embalming. And only the rich had access to this and would use this. And it would preserve a body for quite some time. And they could mourn for days and days and days. And it wouldn't have any kind of odor because of the body being full of myrrh. And it was extremely expensive. So Mary and Joseph probably didn't save that. They probably sold that and used the money to live. But it's symbolic because we know that Jesus was from birth being prepared for the death that he would uh, die at one point after his death on the cross and would be buried. So doesn't it seem odd to you that these powerful pagan magi would travel 800 miles to come and worship a Jewish boy who was to be crowned king. I mean, how did they even know to do this? I mean, you don't have magazines or TV or radio and, and this is a pagan culture. The only way you can understand how the Magi came to worship Jesus is to study the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is in the Old Testament and Daniel was a judge of Israel. This was 600 years before the birth of Christ. The Babylonians or the Persians came in and conquered Jerusalem and uh, wiped them out. Totally just conquered the whole thing and took the Israelites captive and hauled them back to Babylon, which was 800 miles to the east. Now, doesn't it seem to you, I mean, this is just a side thought I was thinking about this week, that Things are getting bad in our country and the world. You know, it's a feeling of the United States is turning away from God. More and more people are turning their back on God and things are getting bad. And when you think about how cities kind of are, certain cities are evil or bad. You know, some people might think Seattle is the, you know, the, the evil, wicked city of Washington and all the evil, wicked stuff goes on in Seattle. Or maybe San Francisco. We definitely know that because of the 49ers that are there. But also, uh, maybe Las Vegas. You know, we call it Sin City. Well, Daniel was hauled off to Babylon. And Babylon was the most wicked city ever. Las Vegas is nothing Nothing in comparison to Babylon. And we know that from God's perspective. In the book of Revelation at the very end, when God is comparing the evil kingdom of the Antichrist, who is working hand in hand with Satan, he calls it the great Babylon. And so when God wants to describe something as evil, he calls it Babylon. That's how evil Babylon was. It was an evil, corrupt, wicked city filled with demonic worship. And so Daniel is now a slave, and that's the environment that he's in. Now, when you're a great ruler and you conquer all the communities and all the 
countries around you, naturally it is you take the spoils. And that's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. He went to Jerusalem, took all the gold, everything out of the temple, brought it and brought it into the temple of Baal in Babylon. And you naturally then would, if you were a powerful ruler, grab the best people, you know, kill a bunch of people. The best ones, take them for yourself. So he literally rounded up all the beautiful women, the most beautiful women in the kingdom and men, brought them to his palace. And of course, the women would be for the king's use. Now, though, here's the problem. You've got a palace or a harem full of women. And because it's not like today, you don't have one wife. I mean, these, these kings, they had hundreds of women. And then you have young men, you know, in their 20s who are also in great shape and handsome in charge at the palace. That's not a good combination. Now, that's trouble that's going to happen there. So they had a solution, a bit barbaric, but it worked. They, all the men that were in charge in the king's palace, became eunuchs. And that's why in Daniel chapter 1, we see Nebuchadnezzar says to the head eunuch, I would like you to select these top people and bring them into the palace. So Daniel and his three Jewish brothers were made to be eunuchs as well. Now, if you don't know what a eunuch is, do what I do and just go ask your mother. Just tell the boys, ask your mother. She'll tell you. Or how about just Google it, okay? You just Google it. Because every time I think of what it means to be a eunuch, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, oh, that's a terrible, terrible thought. And that's what happened to Daniel. He turned him into a eunuch. Because he was going to serve in the king's palace, the king's court. Then the head eunuch changes Daniel's name. He says, Daniel, which means God is my judge. We're not going to call you Daniel. Instead, we're going to call you Belshazzar. Belshazzar means lover of Baal. The protector of Baal. And then he says... You're to learn all of our pagan ways. You're to become a wise man. We're going to train you to become magi. You'll become, you'll be, you'll be brought into the priestly line of magi, and you will learn astrology, astronomy, the occult, divination, and you will lead all of the demonic worship within the kingdom. This was the task given to Daniel. Now you think you have a bad environment. You think you've got it rough. Here's a guy, here's a, here's a man of God. He's devoted his whole life and his heart to following and honoring Yahweh, the only God he's ever known. He's brought to the most wicked city on the face of the earth, turned into a eunuch, his name changed, and forced to learn divination and witchcraft. So what does he do? He studies it diligently. 
And in fact, he does it better than anyone else. And so what happens is uh, the king has a dream. One of those nagging dreams. You know, if you ever have one of those where it just won't leave, you know? You're just thinking about it. You know, it's just disturbing. Wakes you up in the morning and just, oh, I can't believe that. I got, you're, you're just stuck on that all day long. That's what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. And so he called all the magi together because this was their job. They're supposed to interpret this and understand it. And nobody knew what the answer was. Nobody knew what the dream meant. So he was ticked off. King Nebuchadnezzar, wicked king. So chapter 2 and verse 12, listen to this. He says, the king was furious when he heard this. And he ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. So they're coming after, they're killing all the magi. And they come to Daniel because he's a part of the magi. And they're going to kill him. And you can read there. Daniel's words to the king are so gracious and kind. The way he talks to Oh, great king. I have the answer to your dream. And so Daniel goes to God and prays and God gives him the answer to the dream. He shares that answer with King Nebuchadnezzar and he worships before Daniel. This is an evil pagan king. And he says, Daniel, your God is the one true God. In verse 48 and 49, look at this. It says, the the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler of the whole province of Babylon as well as chief of all of the wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed also Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So he was better at all of their witchcraft than all of them. And so the king makes him, appoints him second in command, in charge of all the magi. Now you understand how influential and powerful this group is. They appoint all the kings from that point forward. And Daniel now is in charge of all of them. Interesting. Daniel prospered in Babylon. In Babylon. God used him in extremely difficult circumstances. I mean, you think you've got it tough? You're not a eunuch. At least I don't think you are. Daniel remained faithful to God. He understood the difference between what God allows and what God does not allow. And he ends up becoming a part of the salvation story. How did the Magi know about Jesus? They learned it from Daniel. See, Daniel would talk with the rest of the Magi and explain to them about all the prophecies about the Messiah who would be born king of the Jews in Bethlehem of Judea. And so he shared all of that with the Magi and some of them obviously were converted and began to worship the one true God, King of Kings, Yahweh. 
And so when they saw the star, they began to follow that star. Now, it, we, it was not a literal star. It couldn't be because they're the only ones that saw it. And stars move from east to west with the Earth's gravitational pull. They don't go from east to south. So something similar to the pillar of fire that led the nation of Israel through the wilderness. Something like this, a miraculous event that God creates to guide them to Judea, which in Bethlehem, which was somewhere they'd probably never been before. And they get there and they bow down and they worship Jesus. Because they understood who he was. Because Daniel had said so. They understood the value of who Jesus was. When no one else did. That's why John says in 1 John, he says, that Jesus came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't it ironic that the first people to understand who Jesus was were the Gentiles? I think there are three things that we can take away from this this morning. First of all, if Daniel can prosper in evil Babylon, you can prosper where God puts you. Wherever God places you, you can prosper there. You can be a light in that place, in your school, in your place of employment. Wherever you're at, where God has placed you, you might be the only light that is there. And God can prosper your ministry and your life in the midst of that circumstance. But two, number two... You have to allow God to do this work. God doesn't make you do anything. Daniel fully and freely submitted to the Lord. In the midst of, I can't even fathom how difficult it must have been for for Daniel to do what he had to do. And yet he remained faithful to God and God used him in the midst of those terrible circumstances. And God will use you right where you are. You may think it's horrible and it's the worst place on the planet. And God, why have you put me here? And nobody's going to listen to me and nobody wants to hear about Jesus. You just remember Daniel. As God has placed you there for a reason. And three, for me... There is no way you can read this story about these magi and not take away the fact that giving gifts is an integral part of worship. It wasn't for the magi, give gifts, then worship. Those were connected. And to them, giving what is costly and valuable was appropriate during worship. They came to worship Jesus, and with that, they brought these great gifts. Giving is a part of worship. That's why we give gifts today on Christmas, specifically because of that. You know, gifts were given to Jesus, and so we give gifts to one another.